0: Your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four, talk and text line. It's Lacrosse County Board night. Lacrosse County Board meets on this this Thursday every month, so this is the big meeting uh, that's going on tonight. If you want to hop on over, you can you can sort of. Zoom into that board meeting or you can go down there It's at six o'clock. Brad Williams will be there. You can wave to him if you're going to go to the meeting. Coming up on the show here, double double interviews. Uh, both, both interviews with what I call junkers, but Brad Doolman won't say that when I bring him on because he runs what he calls a museum. The Elmer's Auto and Toy Museum. In Fountain City, is going to be auctioned off in about a month after Elmer Duelman passed away. Um, Brad Duelman's one of the sons. I think there's, I think there's six of them. There's six children there, uh, and Brad's right in the middle, so I know how he feels. <laughs> um, but he's going to come on and talk about there. The museum's open this weekend, next weekend, and one more weekend after that. The next three weekends, essentially. Uh, before they auction it off, and uh, the auctioners, auctioneers, auction company that's doing that is Meacham Auctions, which is, if you're into that stuff, is kind of kind of a big deal. The, they're a pretty big group that does these auctions for Motor Trend TV, and um, every time I go home. Not every time, but every once in a while, I'll go home and I'll walk in the door, and that'll be on TV on Motor Trend. My parents have Motor Trend TV. However, you get that, and whatever streaming service you need to get Motor Trend. In fact, I think it's its own channel, and they'll they'll have these auctions where you have you know these these cars that are worth millions of dollars or a million dollars. How, how much is the most expensive car? I don't even know. Um, so in a in a month, I'll have the Meekum people on to talk about that. But tonight, I'm going to have the local guy and talk about the the museum, the Elmer Auto and Toy Museum. He was giving me a little preview of all the stuff that's in there, and uh, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, It's one-of-a-kind stuff. Literally, some of the stuff he's got in there is one-of-a-kind. After that, I'm bringing on somebody I I know pretty well. His name's Rod (laughs) Solom. My dad, he's gonna he's gonna come on. Uh, my dad, a couple of weeks out from going on the honor flight—not honor flight in lacrosse—but he did it out of, of gaming County, uh, back in Appleton. flew flew out to DC with the veterans. Uh, my dad's a Navy veteran. Uh, came back, uh, came back a little different than lacrosse. Came back, and I've said this before, but came back during the EAA fly-in, the huge uh, week-long. Uh, air show is what I call it, but the fly-in where, um, you know, they just, at Oshkosh Airport, they just do this week-long thing where they have air shows every day of the week. Uh, two of them sometimes, and, well, and it's not even two of them, it just goes on all day. There's just, there's things in the air all day, and things on the ground to do, too. Uh, but we spent the day out there, and then they, dad flew in on, on one of those, uh, a special a special jet-painted just for the veterans, and and came in and uh, had a pretty awesome time, and a, probably a little bit different of atmosphere when everyone at the EAA kind of crowd gathers over and and cheers the veterans on as they come off the stairway. Uh, just a little bit bigger venue, so it's probably a little bit cooler uh, for him. Anyway, so I'll bring my dad on. We could talk about his his time in the Navy, his time going to DC during the the honor flight, and. You know, if you got questions? Shoot me a text. You got a question for my dad? Uh, I know some of you will want to call in and ask my dad some questions too. We'll see. We'll see. Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four is the talk and text line. Um, other news that we had today: it's, it's uh, the Lacrosse School Board um, is going to replace the vacancy left by Rob Abraham. Rob Abraham resigned a couple weeks ago, sort of in protest, I guess, in protest to. The referendum plan and the the teacher pay, I think, is, I mean, the, the two things that uh, the school board voted for and Rob Abraham voted against. Easiest thing to vote against, the teacher pay. I don't know why not, there wasn't, I, I just don't understand how that gets, you know, almost a unanimous vote. Where teachers are asking for more than a two percent raise, but I don't know the economics of the uh, the Lacrosse School District very well. So, but it does bring me it, it, with with the teachers not getting the raise that they want. It did make me think about how the Lacrosse Fire Department asked for less of a raise last year when when they negotiated their contracts, and I th- I want to say I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I want to say they're two year contracts. So. Uh, I think they asked for a 2.5% raise instead of a 3% raise, and then inflation, the inflation thing hit, and I'm wondering if they regret that decision. But they did. They asked the city, you know, we're going through some tough times. We'll ask for a little bit less. Um, at some point, I'm going to get the new fire chief on. And, you know, with Ken Gilliam, the old fire chief, we did something once a month. I'll see if Jeff wants to do that once a month. I think Ken liked to come on and just shoot the, you know, <laughs> He liked to come on and and just hang out. He liked being part of the radio show. And he always was like, no, we don't even have to do fire department stuff. We could just talk about whatever. And so we try to have a little bit of fun with him. Uh, We'll see what Jeff wants to do. I don't know if he he likes the media attention like that, uh, wants to come on a radio show and talk for an hour. Maybe we'll just do smaller segments. I have no idea. I haven't talked to him yet, but it's something that I would like to do if he wants to do it. Uh, But one of those questions will be, you know, like, is there a way, I think, to make that you know, what the fire department did was, was great. They sacrificed some pay while we we're going through a tough time, but you know what? Like, can we, is that, I don't know. that, I don't know if it's a right, or wrong situation there, but can we reward them for that now? Maybe the next time. 608-785-7914. All right. I got to take a break for news coming up. Brad Duelman one of the six children from Elmer's from uh, of Elmer duelman and Elmer had this toy museum, toy and auto museum up there in Fountain City. Three weekends left for that. Uh, We're going to talk to him about it and talk to him about how his dad became this guy that collected all these things when we come back. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914. You got questions you want to shoot me a text 608-785-7914 on the phone with me now is brad duelman he's one of the six children of elmer duelman and one of the guys that's running the elmer's auto and toy museum how's it going brad
1: raining here hard right now
0: but <laughs> a little wet well that, you got the boy scouts there today did you say
1: yeah it's a scouting event so um the fundraiser for them so hundred percent of the proceeds tonight uh, go towards the Scouts of America
0: and I will sell the Elmers Auto and toy Museum there in Fountain City three weekends left this weekend next weekend and the weekend after correct
1: that'd be correct yes sir last day is Labor Day
0: all right and then, and uh, if anyone wants to get out there just just google it Elmer Auto and toy museum um, all right I have some questions for you yes sir the the uh, Obviously, like in a month, you're you're going to be auctioning this off to to Meekum Auctions, and I I think that's a pretty big deal, right? Like they're a pretty big auction. They're my parents are often watching this on Motor Trend TV when they're auctioning off uh, these these cars worth millions of dollars. Uh, how did that come to be?
1: So Mecham, uh came up a couple of times before my dad passed away, and talked with them, and um, that's how we ended up getting the ball rolling with Meekum. And they are the largest, the the best out there for doing what, for doing this kind of auctioning.
0: All right. So, I, and we're kind of bearing the lead here a little bit. The 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 Elmer's Auto and Toy Museum is being auctioned off. Uh, your your dad passed away three years ago. Um, you know, part part of me wants to know, you know, how hard is this? I think a lot of, I think all children have to go through this in one way or the other. You're a little bit unique in that your dad has this museum. How hard is it for your, you, you children to, to have to do this?
1: Um, well, the museum, we all grew up with it, so it's part of us, too. But it was Dad's passion, and he truly loved to share it with people. And the next steps was to share it with the rest of the world. So he had this in the motion already before he passed away. And you know, I, was, I never argued with my dad when he was alive, and I'm not going to argue with him now. And um, this is the next step.
0: Okay, so it was kind of set up for you. So you didn't—you don't really have to. You don't have to think about it too bad. Like, feel bad about it anyway.
1: Um, it's—it's pretty hard. It's—it's—it's part of us and it's part of him, and it's part of your life that we're giving up. Or you know, it's going to be changing. It's going to be a different chapter in our life, and we hope that the stuff goes out to people that uh, will love it as much as he did and that we do.
0: Um, all right, so some of the stuff that is going to be auctioned off and, you know, uh, like you were telling me the other day, some of this stuff is pretty cool. Can you just give me maybe, like, what are your favorite things growing up, uh, you, you know, that, that you've gotten? I, I'm sure you, you got to play with this stuff when you were kids, and now it's, you know, and then you're an adult, and it's just kind of a memory for you.
1: Well, when we are growing up, uh, once we had our driver's license, and before we had driver's license, you know, we'd go to car shows, and stuff, and we'd clean cars. We don't know how to detail them. And so we we're always around with the cars. And when we were growing up, when we had a driver's license, we could take a car for a drive as long as we got it out and treated it correctly and cleaned it and put it back and cleaned it again. And, but then the, the pedal cars and stuff, the toys, that all started showing up after we were um, basically in high school or college. So the toys and stuff, and that was all new. We, really? we didn't have growing up.
0: Oh, that sounds awful. Like you didn't even get to play with the stuff that, 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 uh, like, cause in my head, you had this stuff growing up and then it just ends up in the museum. So you didn't even get to play with the stuff when you were a kid. Oh, we didn't
1: have, we had two pedal cars. Now he's got like 700 pedal cars.
0: <laughs> um, like, well, not, <laughs> well, and that just brings me to the next question. Is like, how, how did your dad accumulate all this stuff? Like where, where did it start? Can you just tell the story of, of, of Elmer Doolman and how he, he came to ha- get this collection for this museum?
1: Well, the um, easiest way to describe Elmer was he started out from back in the beginning. So he was a, from a family of eight kids. When he was seven years old, his mom passed away. And then by the time he was nine, he was fixing all the kids' bicycles in town. By the time he was 18, he had flipped 42 cars where he had bought, sold, you know, fixed. So you could tell he was driven back then. Then in 62, uh, he started the salvage yard part time, full time in 64 and then he started collecting the the big cars in the late 60s and through the 70s and 80s and just he loved things with wheels and it was an obsession for him
0: so he started i mean that that's probably like that was smart of him to work at the salvage yard cuz then he could get out his hands on all the parts and any of the cars that came in right
1: well you know some things came from there but most of it came from word of mouth cuz he liked the one owner stuff and low mileage so you, you made a lot of connections at the salvage yard, so you could um, follow up leads and stuff like that. So he, everything was by word of mouth. Museum is, nothing was bought and through the internet. He didn't like computers. So it was all hands-on and different people he you know, find stuff from. And...
0: What was it like as uh, you and, and your five brothers and sisters, what was that like just y- your dad keeps accumulating this stuff? Um, and you know, it's got to be, A, a little weird and B, be also like there's a lot of cool stuff here to play with, not not necessarily play with, but like you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, well, it was it was it was pretty cool. I mean, it was, and we grew up with a car in the house, there's a 29 mile A hour in the house, but that was just normal. It was part of it growing up, and you know, Dad had a really strong work ethic, so we worked all the time. We did stuff. It wasn't um, wasn't just go around and play all the time. We did a lot of stuff together as a family and worked at it.
0: I don't. I don't want to inter- interrupt your analogy here, your your story. But okay, you have to tell me. Like, you grew up with a model A in the house. Like, where is the car? Uh, is it, a, it? Are you using it as a dinner table or is it a bunk bed? Like, can, can you just like? What is the story behind having a car literally in the house?
1: Uh, well, Dad bought two cars one uh, one day back in the early seventies, seventies, like seventy four, seventy five. He brought one home as a Rolls Royce and parked out. Mom liked it and eventually brought home the Model A. And she made a comment that, boy, that's nice stuff to put in the house. Well, the following year, they built an addition on the house with a a fake wall behind it so they could drive it through the garage into the house. So it sits in the living room next to the fireplace, and there's a small TV in front of it. Nothing like they have nowadays, you know, big 52 inches, or, you know, like a 22-inch black-and-white TV to started out with, and then they got a colored one. But it's just part of the furniture.
0: Okay, so when Mom makes that comment, did dad surprise her by putting it in the house or like he had to, he had to like get it approved by mom. I would say like, how did that conversation go? Do you have that story?
1: Uh, not exactly, but I know dad, if you said something, you had to be careful because he could take your literally and run with it. the um, other story is um, she said she liked some of the dolls and all of a sudden she ended up with over $200 for a doll collection. And my sister, I think she said she like Snoopy stuff. She ended up with over seven hundred pieces of Snoopy memorabilia. Now you're right
0: in the middle of the of the, the six brothers and sisters. Um, did you figure this out? And then maybe say something that is is really cool of value. You know, Dad, I like Corvettes. <laughs> like, and, uh, then you, and then you have five hundred Corvettes.
1: Yeah, good one. No, it didn't work that way. <laughs> um, I think you had to like it too, but yeah, definitely. No, I, I didn't do that.
0: Uh, we're speaking with Brad Doolman, one of the like I said, six brothers and sisters or six children from Elmer Doolman and Elmer's Auto and Toy Museum. It's open this weekend. Let me let me like Friday, Saturday. Su- is it Saturday, Sunday?
1: It's just Saturday and Sunday. The next three weekends. Okay. So it's this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, from nine to five. The following one, and then Labor Day, so the Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and nine to five.
0: All right. And if anyone wants to go, it's fifteen bucks for adults, five dollars for children, unless that's different. Um, Okay, so when people go to this museum, or if they end up going to the auction, Brad, can you just give me the highlights? Like, what are some of the highlights? Let's just go, let's go toys. Like, what are the, like, is there stuff, You. I think you told me on the phone the other day, there's there's literally one-of-a-kind stuff in this auction?
1: Yeah, uh, so Elmer loved the pedal cars, and um, so some of these pedal cars have are, he loved the original ones, so there's a lot of... Original one-off pieces. You know, like, we don't know how many they built, but we know how many are left. They're original, and there's like one. And that's it. And they haven't been available to anybody in the market. because He never sold them, and you have these um, pedal car collectors. They're just they're loving it. They're coming from New Jersey, Australia, um, all over the United States, checking out the stuff and they're putting their collections, and, and hopefully they can enjoy it too, just as much as Dad did.
0: All right. So, and I, and you know what, like we, we buried this lead too. You told me there's five buildings, a house garage, the house, and then Mecham will have their own, their own tent. And there's over 2000 items going up for auction.
1: Yep. There's over 2000 items that would be sold on those four days in September.
0: Do you have any idea? Like if you took all that and just, if you could, do you have any idea what it's worth?
1: No, no idea.
0: No idea, because you have a because what you said, you literally have a pedal car that's one of a kind that nobody can get anywhere else in the world, um, and so you have no idea what someone's willing to pay for that, right?
1: Or what the two guys are willing to pay for it. Yeah, so we know there's a couple of them in there that people are chasing. They they know the pedal cars, and they keep an eye on it for the last thirty years. They've been collecting, and and they know where the car's sitting, and they know it's available now.
0: All right, so the, that's some of the toy stuff. What about like th- some of the the internal combustion stuff? What, what kind of oh, stuff the, are we going to ex- expect there?
1: Oh, the big the big cars, the fun ones. Um, <laughs> so, like when we we're growing up, there was a '57 Corvette. Got to drive that a couple of times. That's going to be on the auction lot. There's a '68 Chevelle, um, 396. It's an SS four speed. There's um, 70 Roadrunner, lime green, beautiful cars. There's a lot of stuff that's and then you, there's muscle cars. There's stuff from the 20s, like 29 Model A. The Phaeton, the one that's in the house, is going to be an auction block. There's 32 Fords. There's so much stuff. Can you? And you have the signs and bicycles and motorcycles and scooters.
0: Um, I, I, you you missed this one, and maybe it's maybe because it's not unique. But the 78 Silver Anniversary Corvette is that is that the most unique car you have?
1: I don't know about most unique, but it's definitely the lowest mileage car we have in the collection. Elmer bought it brand new. He parked it. He never sat in it. One, My oldest brother, my oldest two brothers, one drove it on the flatbed, one drove it off, and then they parked it. So it's got like 5.4 miles on it.
0: <laughs> okay. Do you ever just ask your dad? Like, how many times has one of you kids asked dad, Dad, the car has never been driven? Like, can we drive it? Why can't we drive this thing?
1: Uh, no, we never we understood the value, what the reasoning was. So it wasn't, you know, for us, it was just normal that you didn't, there's certain cars you didn't drive because of the mileage.
0: Is this like when a kid gets uh, a toy and it's new in box and it's a collector's item and they never want to open it? Is this your dad's version of new in box, a 78 Corvette that's literally never been driven?
1: That is a good way to put it. Cause I mean, the window sticker's still in the window, the cardboard's still in the steering wheel, the Seats are still covered. The cardboard still on the floor. Yeah, that'd be a good way to describe it.
0: <laughs> and then all everybody that doesn't understand collectors are like, why aren't you driving this thing, right? Or why aren't you playing with this toy? Because I imagine you have new in-box toys, too, right? Maybe?
1: Oh, geez. He's got... That was one of his favorite things to find was the toys, old toys, still in the box yet. Because you know, the boxes are more rare than the toy is itself. right. Um,
0: yeah, I couldn't imagine just having a car that was never driven. But you, like you said, you understood it. You grew up with your dad, so you're going to understand your dad better than anyone else. All right, um, Brad, I, I really appreciate you coming in. Uh, anyone that wants to go check out the museum Friday, Saturday, this weekend and next weekend, and then uh, the next nope, weekend. Nope. No Fridays. Oh, I keep doing that. Saturday, Sunday, this weekend, the next weekend, yep. and then you got the Monday, the weekend after that as well.
1: Correct. And then this museum, is there's nothing like it anywhere in the world. I mean, Mechem came in, and looked at it, and it's like there's nothing else. I mean, Homer has a very unique, one-of-a-kind museum.
0: My friend Ben's got a, a lime green. Uh, I think it's a Challenger. So we're just gonna we're gonna see if you want to add that to the auction too. We'll just see. <laughs> Good luck. All right. Thanks a lot, Brad.
1: Thank you. All right.
0: When we come back, we're gonna go from uh, talking about. Uh, collector's items with one junker to the next my dad coming up after this all right welcome back to lacrosse talk p.m 608-785-7914 you want to shoot me a text on the phone with me now is my dad rod hi dad hi i'm here <laughs> all right so uh you get you got to hear that uh the conversation we had, you know, growing up in a family that's had our fair share of junk, are you are you a little interested in, you know, I'm going to have to come check that museum out?
2: Yeah, it sounds pretty interesting, and then with Meekum behind it, you know, your advertising and stuff like that will be just unbelievable. It sounds like he's got a lot of one-of-a-kind stuff, so...
0: Could you imagine buying a Corvette from 1978 and, and then parking it, and it's got 5.4 miles on it, it's never been <laughs> driven?
2: I've heard of people doing that already, you know, so there was some place in South Dakota that was a dealership that had all kinds of cars. And it sounded like in the end that, you know, he didn't keep them up, you know, by, you know, in the proper buildings or somewhere even outside. So, all
0: right. The reason I have my dad on him, we could talk about, we could talk about this stuff too, as well, but my dad just got back, uh, you know, not just got back, but a couple of weeks ago flew out on the honor flight out of Oshkosh there, dad, what, um, were you, were you kind of nervous about going? Were you excited? What were your feelings going into that?
2: It was different, uh, you know, that during the Vietnam conflict. We weren't really thought of as, uh, you know, patriots. So it was kind of different. I can remember when I got out, I went in the, either the airport uh, bathroom or the bathroom in the in the plane and changed my clothes. But they all spotted you because, you, you know, you had a military haircut and everybody back then had long hair. So it was pretty noticeable. But it was different. But. We were from a small town. The bigger towns were rougher on the veterans than the small towns. Small towns didn't uh, really bother us too much.
0: so when you flew when you got off the plane coming home from Vietnam, what was the reception like?
2: Nothing. there was nothing you know uh, I can't even remember um, uh, your mother met me at the airport in Chicago and we drove home from Chicago. but you know, I don't think I had my uniform on even then. you know you pretty much ditched the uniform as quick as you could. Hopefully, and then wear a hat so nobody knew you were around.
0: So okay, but it wasn't it wasn't positive nor negative. In other words,
2: yeah. Uh, well, it, it would have been negative if I had my uniform on. You know, somebody would have said something to you. So you know, we try, tried to ditch the uniform, wear a hat, and kind of be incon- inconspicuous. So
0: well, how has uh, you know as the years have gone by, and we've we've kind of looked back on that time? How uh, does it? It, it, does it feel a little bit better about, like, just the reception you got coming back into into
2: Oshkosh? I think uh, five years ago at an unemployment hearing, uh, the lady from uh, the unemployment office stopped the thing, and she said, I want to just uh, say one word. She says, are there any veterans here? And I thought there was 26 of us there. I thought, well, there will be three, four, five veterans. And uh, I was the only veteran, so I stood up. She thanked me for my service. So I would think that was the very first time in 40-some years that anybody ever thanked me for my service. Otherwise, you know, it just wasn't even today, you know, you know, unless you'd wear your uniform or somehow they'd know you, you know, not too often. But nothing like the Honor Flight uh, from the day we uh, got on the uh, the bus to get dropped off at uh, uh, their meeting area. And, you know, it was just unbelievable. They had uh, Dunkin' Donuts, had coffee and, and stuff for us. TSA was there, uh, they gave you an ID pass, and you didn't have to do a search or even a metal detector, it was just unbelievable. And uh, you could get a ride out to the plane, or or uh, you could walk out to it, the plane was a uh, honor flight plane, uh, American Airlines donated the plane, the pilots donated their time, the stewardess donated their time, and everything there was, you know, just up front, you know.
0: Now, when you when you get to D.C., can you talk about, like, the, the, the motorcade, so to speak, to to take you around?
2: I guess they usually had a police escort, but we didn't, but the bus, he just, you know, like a, a, a red light or whatever, uh, there was five buses, they just pretty much bouldered their way through, and then a couple times there was cars alongside of us, and we were going to get over, and, and uh they, you know, they weren't going to let us over, and the bus just kind of kept crowding. And pretty soon, they got out of our way. So <laughs> um, they did have when we got to the airport at Reagan International, they had dual Oshkosh trucks with water cannons shooting water over the plane, and then everybody on the flight line at the airport neither had signage or even the American flag, or if nothing else, waving. And the same thing when we went into Reagan International, there was people in there with signage and everybody stopped and greeted us and you know thanked us for our service
0: now what uh what were some of the highlights of the visit to DC like that that you got to see as it, you they, have you been there have you been there before i guess i don't even
2: no, i never been to dc uh, i guess the changing of the guard uh, you know there and and he even uh, the guard that was there he even uh, dragged his they were cleats he dragged his cleat to acknowledge us as being there as veterans, he could not, you know, you know, turn and acknowledge us or anything. So that was a highlight. We didn't park way up, a mile away. We parked right next to the thing, so we had very little walking. There was a lot of them in wheelchairs, probably a dozen or more that were in wheelchairs. So because it was a lot of walking. Besides that, and then we went to the Smithsonian, went to Vietnam War Memorial, the Wall, and then we also went to the Korean one, and then. Uh, we also went to a monument of uh, uh, Iwo Jima, and they, you know, that was the Marines' uh, monument, and then we went to another one for the Air Force. So it was nine nine hours of nothing but go, go, go. And uh, um, my chaperone, Amy Winkler, uh, she wouldn't let me even walk down the steps of the plane without her in front of us. Uh, she knew all. She took care of us. It uh, was me and another guy, and she was our entourage. She just... Uh, made sure everything was done right, that we drank water if we needed a pop, uh, <laughs> where the bathrooms were. At one time, you know, I was going to have one of you boys do it, but one of you boys could never do it because she, uh, she was so knowledgeable. Look at this, do this, don't do that. Don't fall down the steps. How do you feel, you know?
0: Yeah, she she so, she has a, she just knows the whole routine and then doing it over and over again, I think. Um,
2: six times she's done it. Do you, do you, the other lady that I talked to had done it 18 times.
0: Do you remember how many veterans were on with you? 98. 98. Did you, like, how much interaction did you have with him? Did you meet anyone that, you know, like, oh, maybe you had some relation there? Not literally relation, but, like, where you guys were um, on the, you, like, I should say this. My dad served on the US, the CVA-19 USS Hancock aircraft carrier in, from 1971 to 1975. Is that right?
2: That's right. We had three deployments to Vietnam. Uh and then we also were in the Indian Ocean in 74 when they had the fuel crowd. And then we also evacuated Vietnam. So we had 10,000 Vietnamese, and, and a lot of the Vietnamese neither landed on the aircraft carrier. We took all the jets off, and we had all helicopters to help evacuate. And uh, when the Vietnamese would fly out in their helicopters, uh, their family would jump in the water, and then uh, the pilot being uh, you know in the Vietnamese Army, He would crash it in the water, he'd jump out before that, and then, of course, we'd go out with boats, and I didn't, but uh, people on the ship go out in boats and and pick them out of the water and then bring them on the carrier. All the helicopters we shoved over the side, uh, except for the CIA member that was red, white, and blue. I did get some pictures of that, and I I don't think we were supposed to do any of that because it was all, I don't know, top secret or something.
0: Was that was the a big
2: deal, 10,000, you know, they, and then they took them to Grandy Island in the Philippines, and Grandy, uh, there was probably a hundred or some thousand of them there at Grandy, and they fed them and took care of them until they you know, had a way of getting them back to the United States.
0: When you get all those guys on, all those people on the carrier, what like, are they on the deck or are they below? Like, what was a, the scene like?
2: Hang, a hangar deck, they were in the hangar deck, and of course, like I said, we got rid of all of our jets, so we just had the attachment of Marines and helicopters, so... We had a lot of room, and uh, they closed half of it. See, a chow hall on our aircraft carriers open 22 hours a day. So they closed half of our chow line off just for the Vietnamese so they could feed them. Uh, when they landed on board the ship, they deloused them, and, uh, you know, they checked them. And, and a lot of them had guns and stuff. They took all that away. And and uh, then they had cots for them to sleep on and that. So I, I would say they were t- treated the best that we could do for them, you know. And that was... Uh, you know, I don't know anything about this war that went on now, but uh, we did the best we could for them and tried to save as many as we could. So,
0: When you when you do three tours in the Indian Ocean and you're out there, uh, you know, for how many years, uh, do, do you have any other stories, like just really interesting stories from your time out there? And then also, Dad, can you just tell the audience what, what you did on the aircraft carrier?
2: I was a boiler tender, so it uh, was very hot. I was 40 pounds lighter back then. Uh, in fact, I was lighter when I was on in that fire room than I was a freshman in high school, so that's how hot it was down there. Uh, B Division on a ship is 180. All Most of your carriers, well, even today, they're steam, but they're nuclear, but carriers are all steam-powered, so half of the ship is engineering, or over half the bottom of the ship is engineering. So it was unique. You know, nobody ever bothered us down there because it was hot. Uh, we would have a zone inspection, I can remember, Uh, A a doctor came down there one time and walked around, and and he said, this is unfit for man or beast, and he turned around and walked right back up the ladder. He never did an inspection of anything at all. He just, you know, it was just too hot, and he was a doctor. He couldn't believe anybody was down there, but we lived, you know, know, every four hours on and eight hours off, and then plus during the day we had to go down and scrub deck plates with Kool-Aid, and everybody had a cleaning station, so... Stuff that people wouldn't even believe we that what we did. We found out cleaning Kool Aid cleaned a, a, a four way steel deck, you could get it to shine just like stainless steel, and you know, outside was borderline with red paint, so that was your job just about every day. And of course, the below the deck was all salt water and stuff from the builders, so it was, it was something different.
0: How come we're not using Kool Aid to clean anything in the garage now?
2: I never even thought about doing it, <laughs> but uh, the acid in the Kool-Aid were cut. They used to use coffee and mix coffee in with it, too, so you had to come up with something because there's no uh, Walmart in the middle of the ocean and stuff. So care packages, the number one thing we waited for, and, of course, anybody in the service will tell you that was mail call. So uh, on our honor flight, they had a mail call, and, of course, Mom had uh, letters that from my uncle and my aunt and from from Shirley and and that she had them all in an envelope. So we had mail call on our airplane, too. So these people on, on our flight did not miss a beat. They uh, they knew exactly, uh, you know, what we liked and, and how to do it. And only thing they didn't have is uh, we always used to get cookies, uh, and later on the cookies were so s- smashed. It took 11 days to get mail from the United States to uh, our ship, and, of course, we were paid by cash, and I always wondered... When the mail pane landed, if that money flew over the deck, and we always got paid in brand new American greenbacks, so stuff that you know just unheard of. I'd, I, which assume they're not getting paid in cash. Of course, when we're at sea, we didn't, or none of our wages were taxed, and that. And of course, we got sea pay and stuff. When I went into service, I got one hundred and thirty nine dollars a month, in a month, not a week, a month. And when I got out, it was five five ninety four, I think it was.
0: Four years see. later.
2: So you, uh, you couldn't live on that very good. So
0: Well, when you were when you were out in Vietnam, did you ever, like like when you got to go off the ship, what kind of things did you do?
2: So we never, uh, an aircraft carrier never got very close to Vietnam at all. Our home port overseas was Subic, Subic Bay, and I can remember at time one time there was five aircraft carriers in Subic Bay. I don't think we would have five aircraft carriers to be in one spot anymore. I think they only got a dozen, but... Military was much bigger back then, you know, uh, manpower, and the Navy was the second one. Today, I guess the Army's first, the largest, and then I think it's the Air Force. The Navy is not very big at all. And all the Navy bases that were on the West Coast, like Vallejo and Oakland Supply Depot, Alameda Naval Air Station, all of them are all closed. So I think the only Navy bases on the West Coast are Bremerton and San Diego, You know, North Coronado. Them are the only two left, I believe. All the rest is gone, so pretty small. So a lot of carriers back then, Essex-class carriers, what I was on, and there was lots and lots of them. Did they helicopter
0: helicopter you off a carrier when you got to go back to land, or did you take a boat, or how did you get off?
2: No, when I came uh, onto the helicopter, I first went on an oiler called a Camden, and the Camden had the main engines off the battleship Kentucky. They never built the Kentucky. So they used the engines off the Kentucky in this oiler, the Camden. So that was my first ship. So then I did helo off on a a Chinook. I flew off on a Chinook from the Camden to the Hancock, which is bird repping. That's what we always did. Uh, Whenever we took on supplies, um, you would work a 12-hour night shift usually. And ours, we were bomb fins, so we always unloaded all the bomb fins. And One time I remember we didn't have any more room for bomb fins. We always put them on the catwalks. The bombs had to go into Bombay, but all the bomb fins went on the catwalks, and there was no more room, and all of a sudden the old Hancock took a roll, and a whole bunch of them fell over the side, and then my, my boss said, now you got a lot of room to put bomb fins. So
1: We <laughs> right.
2: always gave everything the float, uh, took it to the fan tail. One time the typewriter didn't work, so we took that to the fan tail and threw it over the side, and it did, if it floated, it was good. Well, it didn't float, so it wasn't any good. We always call that the float test.
0: Okay. Um, And then uh, how cool was it when you came off from the honor flight coming back to the EAA and just having everyone there cheering for you? I mean, that that must have felt pretty good, huh?
2: Yeah, well, and then the pilot, you know, uh, this is a big, big plane. He said it was too big for Reagan, so he really threw out the air brakes at at Reagan to stop and also at EAA. So you almost flew out of your seat, and then they let all of our people, you know, our entourages off, and then they let us off, and, you know, they had a a band playing, and then they had a C-5A Galaxy with the tailgate down, and then they had people up there, you know, talking and stuff like that. And, of course, my family was there. You were there. Grandsons were all there. Granddaughter was there. So it was a big hoopla, so way, way different than anything that we ever had. A couple times when I came back from overseas, my mother and father and my aunts were there uh, to welcome the ship back. And, of course, Uh, The only people that would be on the base would, you know, there would be no protesters because it would just be people that were, you know, related to anybody on the ship. So that was a big deal back then, but other than that, you know, there was no big deals about nothing.
0: All right, we're uh, wrapping up here with my dad, Rod Solom, a Navy veteran, out uh, doing a tour in, three tours in the Indian Ocean during Vietnam from 19...
2: No, it wouldn't be the Indian Ocean. It would be Yankee Station. But I did go to the Indian Ocean once, too. Uh, Gulf of omen, and that's in 74 when they had that big oil crunch. And at that time, they told us, no more oil. But all of a sudden, uh, look at today, we still got oil. So,
0: <laughs> uh, Fact-checking me. All right, Dad, I, a lot of people on the text line are saying thanks for your service. Uh, me too. Thanks for your service. I appreciate you coming on with me. Thank you.
2: Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye.
0: All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Appreciate Mr. Duelman coming on, talking about the Elmer's Auto and Toy Museum and the auction coming up. And, of course, my dad coming on and, and telling us about his experience in the Navy during Vietnam and the honor flight. Thanks for listening.